Well, good morning, Arbor. It's good to be with you. Today is a uh, good day. Today, we are going to talk on the Holy Spirit. We are going to talk about the Holy Ghost. And uh, yes, no, so for some of you, I know you've been waiting to woohoo that for a little while, right? And then for some of you, you're like, oh, crap, it's not that day, is it? Like, here we go. So we've got a plethora of people on a different span of like, ah, oh, where are we going to be on this? Where do I, how do I feel? We're going to talk all about that today. Uh, there's a lot of mystery, a lot of misconceptions when it comes to the identity, to the nature, and to the presence of the Holy Spirit. Uh, it is a topic that can be polarizing, even among Christian circles. Uh, I was trying to think of a modern comparison that causes such segregation, and I thought, well, maybe I could talk about politics. And I thought, no, I'm not going to talk about <laughs> politics. So we're going to talk about essential oils real quick. Um, <laughs> essential oils are both mysterious and they are misunderstood. They create conflicting camps, do they not? There are the skeptics. That's me. I am a skeptic. Guys, no joke. Why did I just get booed? Did I got booed? <laughs> I am an, oil, an essential oil skeptic. We had ants in this building right here. We had them inside of the children's area. And so uh, one of the fanatics on the other side of the spectrum, Allison Oconey, decided she wanted, to, uh, she wanted to attack the ants with essential oils instead of poison, which I thought was a better idea. So she just sprayed them with, you know, peppermint, uh, gave them a little bit of a bath. Uh, but my wife is a fanatic as well. She loves, loves essential oils. Uh, she thinks it's a solution to all. So if she has a headache, essential oils. Sore muscles, essential oils. A flat tire, essential oils. Just rub a little lavender on it. It'll inflate, right? There are very, there's a, only a cup, one distinctive difference between the Holy Spirit and essential oils, and that's this, that the Holy Spirit is real, active, and alive today, and essential oils essentially smell. That's the only difference that there is. And so they cause divisions. There's extremes. Uh, and there's two camps. Let's talk about the Holy Spirit. There are two extreme camps, and these are the extremes. There are the cessationalists, which that word means to cease or to end. And in the early church, they thought, a lot of people believed that the Holy Spirit was only around for the early church, that the gifts were given, that the power was unleashed for the early church um, to be established. And now that the church is established, the Holy Spirit has ceased with his gifts and therefore, he is sitting on some white sandy beach somewhere in heaven. There are also, on the other side of the spectrum, from the cessationalists, there are the sensationalists. Okay? And these are those who are all about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, all about the anointing. It is a party, right? Church is a party. There is confetti along with gifts, gifts, and more gifts. And are there more gifts in the back for me to be given to? So that, just gifts. This, 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 by the way, is where I come from. My history is from the Pentecostal side of things. I was um, raised in a charismatic church where there was speaking in tongues, interpretation, there was slain in the spirit, there was lots of stuff where you'd be like, well, that's a little bit too far for me. That's where I came from. Where I spent most of my time in my latter years of life is not to the cessationalists because I believe that, that the Holy Spirit is active today. But I have much more of a Baptist um, conservative expression when it comes to the Holy Spirit. And so there are a lot of people 
on a lot of different places on this spectrum of what do you believe the Holy Spirit and the gifts are about. And so what we're going to do is we're going to tackle this head on. And I want to give you my goal. The goal for the church is this, is that I want to bring a biblical understanding of the Holy Spirit for the purpose of moving us, Arbor Church, to experience him more, to experience more of him. My hope is that we can stack hands on this, is that the Holy Spirit is absolutely and completely necessary and essential to live the life that God has called us to live as followers of Christ. And that God wants all of his children to be filled with his spirit so that we can do his will on earth as it is in heaven. And so let's start with the very basics of the Holy Spirit. The first question we should ask, who is the Holy Spirit? Who is the Holy Spirit? And to answer this, I want to look at the words of Jesus. And I want to look at the words of Jesus right before he was arrested, right before he went to the cross for us. He's with his disciples, and this is what he said. He said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another, and then notice this, capitalization, another helper, to be with you forever. The, say it with me, spirit of truth The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he lives in you and will be, this is crazy, in you. Now there are a few truths that are inside of that passage and a few truths that we know when it comes to the Holy Spirit. If I were to wrap it into one sentence on who he is, this would be it. The Holy Spirit is a divine person who helps us. I'd write that down. That is, that's huge. The Holy Spirit is a divine person who helps us. Let's break that down a little bit. The Holy Spirit, first and foremost, is a person. Jesus did not refer to the Holy Spirit as an it. It didn't say when it will come or you will know it or because it lives in you. Jesus used personal pronouns, him, his. The Holy Spirit is not some mystical magical, impersonal force. He's not some cosmic state of consciousness. Jesus ascribed personal attributes to the Holy Spirit. In John 14, 26, he said, he will teach you all things. In John 15, 26, he says, he will testify of me. In John 16, 8, it says, he convicts the world. In John 16, 13, he will guide, he will speak, and he will tell All of these are activities of a person who has a personality, therefore has personality traits. For example, in the Bible, the Holy Spirit is said to have a mind and to have a will. He is said to love and to intercede. As a person, he can be grieved, Ephesians 4. He can be insulted, Hebrews 10. And he can be lied to, Acts chapter 5. The Holy Spirit, this is very important, is not an it, a force, or a gut feeling. He is a person. And the reason that's so important is because you can't have a personal relationship with an it. You can't have a personal relationship with a thing. Let me ask you, any of you growing up, you had a pet rock. Did you ever have a pet rock? Right? What was the name of your pet rock? Do you know? Do you remember? Where's your pet rock now? Yeah, nobody knows, right? 
Because it wasn't that tight of a relationship. You can't have a personal relationship with a thing. And that's why the Holy Spirit is not a thing. It's not an it. It's not a gut feeling. It's not a state of consciousness. It's not a force. It's a he. That's what he is. He is a person. And so first and foremost, the Holy Spirit is a he. The Holy Spirit is a divine person. That's the next part, divine person. Like the Father and like the Son, the Holy Spirit is eternal, which is a characteristic of his divinity. In the second verse of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, second verse, we hear about the Holy Spirit right off the get-go. The earth was formless and void and darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the water. The Holy Spirit has been around from the very, very, very beginning. The author of Hebrews says this. He says, Christ, who through, there it is, the eternal spirit, offered himself without spot to God. Now that verse is about Christ's sacrifice and the offering that he has given. But notice the adjective that is ascribed to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is forever. The Holy Spirit is always. He is everlasting. He is eternal. Friends, the fact that the Holy Spirit is a part of the Holy Trinity affirms his deity. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, but God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit are not just three different names for one being. In fact, that's actually called modalism. The Bible affirms that God is one and the same He is also three distinct persons. So he is one and three distinct persons. They are different, but they are equal. There is no hierarchy when it comes to the Trinity. There is no God on top, God the Father on top, followed by the Son who is a little bit less, and then the Holy Spirit that we send out to do our bidding. That's not how it is. They are three in one. This is very difficult to explain. One God, three persons, Every time we talk about this, I have to admit that I just don't get it fully. And there's no way that I'm going to be able to explain it. Theologians have tried, right? St. Patrick, Mr. Green himself, he put it like this. He said that that the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, they're they're all part of a clover, a three-leaf clover. Each leaf represents a different part, but they're part of the same plant. You may have heard it, the the Trinity described as an egg, right? It's one egg. But you've got the three different parts. You've got the shell on the outside. You've got the yolk in the middle and the white, which is my favorite part to eat, right? You've heard it as different forms of water, liquid, vapor, ice. My favorite expression that I've ever heard is apple pie, right? Apple pie, you make a pie. If you bake it right, it's supposed to be runny inside. So you take the knife, you cut it into three equal pieces. The the inside should go around the knife. Therefore, it shows three distinct pieces on the top, but one pie as a whole in the middle. It's just another way of saying it. The the truth is we cannot, all of these, um, these examples fall short because in our mind, it's so difficult. One plus one plus one is three, but not in Trinitarian math. One plus one plus one is one. And if you can understand that, if you can explain that to me, then you are a better person than I, and you need to do my taxes. Okay, it's very difficult to comprehend. The Holy Spirit is a divine person. The Holy Spirit is divinely God. 
In Acts chapter 5, Luke explains that when you lie to the Holy Spirit, you are lying to God. Therefore, God is on par and equal to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is omnipresent, which is just a fancy word for saying he is everywhere all the time. He is in Bellevue. He is in Bothell. He is in Woodenville. He is in Kirkland. He is in Renton, but I'm pretty sure he's not happy about it. All right? (laughs) David said this. He said, where can I go from your capitalized spirit? Right? This is before the New Testament. Where can I flee from your presence? He is omnipresent. The Holy Spirit is also omnipotent, meaning that he's all-powerful. Job said, the spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. Friends, when we baptize people, we do it exactly like Jesus commanded us to that we baptize in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. You are buried with Christ, raised to walk a new life. The Holy Spirit is divine, and the Holy Spirit is God. Not all groups of people believe that the Holy Spirit is God. Unitarians do not. Christian science do not. Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, Muslims, all do not believe that the Holy Spirit is God. And so why is this important? Does it even matter that we see the Holy Spirit both as a person and as God? And the answer is yes. Because if we don't know who he is, we can never fully appreciate what he does. We can never fully appreciate what he divinely does. If we don't believe that he's a person, then we can't have a relationship with a thing. The Holy Spirit is a divine person. Now back to the verse that we read in the very beginning. Jesus said this. He said, I will ask the Father and he will give you, talking about us, another, another, and here's the key word, helper, to be with you, speaking of us, forever. The Holy Spirit is a divine person who helps, who helps us. Now I don't know about you, but I can use all the help I can get. All the help I can get. Parakletos is the word that's used for helper there. It means advocate, a comforter. It literally means one who is called alongside to help. Jesus said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another parakletos, meaning helper, to be with you forever. Now, what's interesting there is the word another. Have you guys ever noticed that before? I'm going to give you another helper. And I find this absolutely fascinating. And one of the best parts of my job is I get to study this. And this week, I got to learn something I had never known before. And that the word another in the Greek language has two possibilities for the word, two different types of interpretation. Same spelling, different, or same spelling but different meaning. Uh, the two possibilities are this. One is heteros. Heteros means another of a completely different kind. And on the other side, there's alos, which is another of the same kind. Let me explain the difference. If someone gave you a book and you didn't like that book, you read the first few chapters inside of that book and you're like, "Ah, I'm not really liking this, and you gave it away and you went and bought another book, right? That would be a heteros. You went and bought another book of a different kind, different author, different title, completely different. Well, let's say that you loved that book. You got another book. You loved it. You couldn't 
put it down and you wanted to share it with someone. So you read it and then you handed your book to someone else and you went and got another book. That would be an alas. You got a book of the same kind. You went and bought yourself an exact replica of the other one. In this verse, when Jesus refers to another helper, he's referring to the alas, an exact replica of him, speaking to the Trinitarian nature of him. In other words, here's what this means. God sent another helper who is as good as Jesus. To make that make sense, the Holy Spirit is as good of a helper to us as Jesus was in person to the disciples. That's how great of a helper we have. That is incredible. What incredible help we have from the Spirit. I will ask the Father and he will give you alas, another, parakletos, helper, to be with you forever. We have a permanent helper. Jesus was with his disciples for three and a half years. The Holy Spirit is with us forever. Forever we have the opportunity to lean on him and he can guide us and help us. Two weeks ago, I was kind of dying from stuff in our house, craziness, trying to get things worked around and, and just too many projects. And I was buried with work and everything that was going on here. I just did not, could not get my head above water. And a friend of mine, who's been a very dear friend for a very long time, didn't even know that I was in this situation or maybe he could just sense it. I didn't say anything to him. And what he did is he came up to me and he just simply said, hey, what time can I come over and help you on Saturday? And I'm like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, I know you got a lot of projects. How can I come help you? I'm like, that is amazing. Uh, and he came over. He helped me for half the day. It was wonderful, wonderful. I'll give you his phone number afterwards. He's a great guy, <laughs> right? But imagine having that kind of unwarranted help all the time. I didn't ask for it. He volunteered. He stepped in. He saw a need. He met it. It was beautiful. That's what the Holy Spirit does for us all the time. He is our forever helper. The Holy Spirit is a divine person who helps. The second question that I want to tackle is not just who the Holy Spirit is, but I said earlier, and I mentioned that the Holy Spirit is a person and that every person has a personality, therefore has personality traits. So the natural next question is to ask, what is the Holy Spirit like? What is he like? Lucky for us, God has given us a few images, a few pictures throughout the Bible that we're going to look at. The first one we see is at Jesus' baptism. This is an amazing event. It's recorded in all four of the Gospels. And in all four of the Gospels, they all include this one detail. And the detail is this, is that somebody unexpected showed up to the baptism. Mark chapter 1 says this, At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John, John the Baptist, in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven, and I love the word choice here, being torn open. Heaven was being torn open. And the Spirit, capital S, descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said this. It said, you are my son, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. This is a snapshot. This is a picture. This is a moment in history where we have a rare 
glimpse of all three persons of the Trinity, the Holy Trinity, present um, together, manifested at the same time. You have the Father's voice coming from heaven saying, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. You have Jesus who's getting baptized, and then you have the Holy Spirit presence in the form of a dove. In a form of a dove. He's not a dove. He's in the form of a dove. And what does a dove universally represent? Peace. Exactly. The Holy Spirit is like a dove because he brings peace. This image of a dove captures a a component of what the Holy Spirit does in our life. The Spirit serves as a point of peace, as a point of unity for the people of God, a peace that we're encouraged to pursue. Here's what Paul says. He instructs us like this. He says, make every effort to keep the unity of what? Of the spirit through the bond of peace. Now, this might shock you, but people aren't naturally bent towards peace. We have a tendency to divide, do we not? We divide by race, by politics, by age, by gender, by financial status, by zip code, by essential oils. We are always dividing And the Spirit comes to bring unity around and among an unbelievably diverse group of people to give them one point in common. Do you know what that point is? The Spirit of God. The Bible says that we have the same Spirit, and that Spirit is in us, and that Spirit brings us peace between us and God, and between us and each other, and between us and our circumstances. Paul describes it as the peace that passes all understanding, meaning it cannot be comprehended. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. I was reading online in Facebook this week, and I was reading that there was another gal, a little girl named Vivian Rose, who has DIPG. DIPG is the same disease, the same cancer that attacked and took Maggie's life, my daughter. And I was reading what their parents were writing in this situation, and I remember just thinking to myself, I remember that. I remember that, and I can tell by what they're writing is that Vivian is unfortunately at the cliff where it's starting to go downhill, and there's going to be no stopping this disease. There's no cure. And I remember when we were walking through this, and I could read in between the lines, they're hoping that this was in their, in, in their situation, but we had a peace. I'll be clear on that. We did not have a peace in the fact that we, we were okay with, we wanted, with Maggie's disease. We didn't want her to pass away. But we had a peace in the process that we knew that the God of the universe had us. That his Holy Spirit, there's nothing short of miraculous that we would have a peace going through something like that if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit. And I have prayed this week for Vivian and for her parents that they would have the same level of peace. It's so rare, friends. There's only like two cases of this happening in the state of Washington per year. They just happen to be another case. It's so rare. I pray that the peace of God will be with them through that impossible situation. And that's the thing is that the Holy Spirit gives us a peace in impossible situations. Maybe you're walking through one of those things right now, and maybe you don't have that sense of peace. And I would ask you, where is your peace coming from? Where are you searching for it? Because peace is found in a person, and that person is the Holy Spirit. He is the one who provides peace, and so maybe for you, the next step is simply asking 
this dove, right? This spirit of peace to come into your life. The Holy Spirit is like a dove because he brings peace. The second picture that we get of what the Holy Spirit is like is a slightly more violent inside of Scripture. It's a fire, right? Not a, not a nice little dove, but a fire. John the Baptist, the same one who baptized Jesus, said this. He says, I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. Other translations say worthy to tie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, for those of you who have been around the church, read your Bible a few times, you might think of some pictures of fire in the Bible. In the Old Testament, there was a pillar of fire that guided the Israelites. That was the Holy Spirit, guided them along. In the New Testament, you might think of Pentecost, where they had tongues of fire that came over their heads when the Holy Spirit entered into our day and age, into the earth for all of eternity. The Holy Spirit is like a fire. Why? Because he purifies Fire has this crazy ability of burning the junk away. The prophet Malachi uses this image in the Old Testament when he's talking about God's work. He says this. He says, he will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites, which is, are the priests at the time, and refine them like gold and silver. A purifier turns up the heat to the point where any dross, impurity, or foreign substances are burned out and that all is left is pure, precious metals. It's the same thing when it comes to the Holy Spirit. When he enters into our lives, what he does is he convicts us. He points out the sins as uncomfortable as that may be. And what he does slowly is he begins to purify us from all unrighteousness. Paul tells us this, he says, but you have been purified from what? From sin. You have been dedicated to who? To God. You have been put right with God by the Lord Jesus Christ and, I love that, by the Spirit of our God. Fire purifies. Fire purifies. And, and, and truly, friends, when I read this about refining of fire and, and whatnot, I cannot help but think of when I was a young guy in summer camps and at churches, and they were singing this one song. And it goes like this. I love the words. Listen to them. It goes, purify my heart. Let me be as gold. And precious silver, purify my heart. Let me be as gold, pure gold. Refine as fire, you're my heart's one desire. Is to be holy. Set apart for you, Lord, I choose to be holy. Set apart for you, my master, ready to do your will. Now, some of, oh gosh, please. 
some of you guys, you're like, I love that song. And some of you guys are going, what the heck is going on right now? Yeah, there you go. I ask you this. In what area of your life does there need to be a refiner's fire? What area of your life is there impurity that the Holy Spirit continues to convict, but you continue to hold rather than to hand it over to him? At what point in your life is there anything, any, any dross, anything that's in your life that is not of him that you have not handed over? My thought, maybe your next step is this, is that you would say to the Lord, say to the Holy Spirit, purify my heart, refine me inside to out so that I can do and be who you want me to be. The Holy Spirit is like a dove because he brings peace. The Holy Spirit is like a fire because he purifies. And the last one, the last picture, the last description that we get, can anyone guess? The Holy Spirit is like a wind because he directs, he guides. The Holy Spirit is like a wind because he guides. Jesus himself said this. He said, the wind blows wherever it pleases, You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. It is with everyone, or it is this with with everyone born of the Spirit. Friends, what's cool about that passage is there's a little wordplay going on there that we don't get to see in the English. Because the word in Greek for wind and the word in Greek for, uh, for spirit is the same word. It's pneuma. It's the same exact word. So Jesus is doing a little wordplay here. He's saying the pneuma, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it's coming from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the pneuma, born of the spirit. Wind is powerful. Wind is unpredictable. Wind moves things that seem impossible, like my golf ball. Every time I hit it, it goes to the right place, but the wind catches it and moves it another direction. The wind cannot be put in a box. But at the same time, you guys, the wind can also refresh. And the wind can bring power. And the wind can guide. Jesus said this. He said, when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth, like a sailboat on the water, like a kite in the sky. The Spirit guides us, not just in the big, huge things in our life, but He guides us in the teeny, tiny, everyday things of our lives. He speaks, He directs, He nudges, He prompts, and He leads. This is so true all the time, but it was even, it was just so cool. Two weeks ago, something happened, and I got to share this with you. Um, It's going to be both an announcement and a miraculous situation. Here's the announcement. We've been making a few little changes around here, and so what happened is um, we recently have hired a children's director. Um, Recently, as in Thursday, we hired a children's director. He's one of our Arborites. He's been around for a long time. His name's Michael Salas. This is who he is right here. So he will be our new children's director. Uh, you know, he's not here today, so obviously he's, you know, he's not here on his first day on the job, so that's disappointing. Um, 
But dude, if you've ever met this guy, he's probably attacked you by his smile and his positivity. He's amazing. But here's what's miraculous. So this process has been going on, and we've been looking for a children's director for about, you know, two weeks, like I said. And what was interesting is that Michael had, two weeks ago, had a dream that he was standing right here in this spot, and that he was supposed to, in his dream, get up, and he was supposed to talk to the congregation at Arbor. He was supposed to give a message or do something, and he said he felt extremely nervous to do so. And so um, he got up and he started to speak, and he said as he spoke, his nerves just went away. And it was interesting because he woke up and he felt like this wasn't a normal dream. He actually called his mom, who works in the ministry, and goes, what does that mean? It was that impactful of a dream. What does that mean? Well, we didn't know anything about his dream, and he didn't know anything about us, who we only had one person on our list that we were looking for for a children's director, and it was him. So two days after he had that dream, we called him and said, by any chance, would you be interested in working as a children's director here at the church, right? God was prompting us by putting him in our mind, and at the same time, God was putting uh, us in his mind. That is miraculous. That is the Holy Spirit. And that is so cool, you guys. It's so cool. So what I mean by that is God directs like the wind. He pushes us in different direction. He moves us. He prompts us. He leads us. He is good. The Holy Spirit is good. He is a divine person who helps. Like a dove, he brings peace. Like fire, he purifies. And like wind, he directs. This morning, I have purposely tried to lay a foundation for who the Holy Spirit is and what he's like. In the next few weeks, we are really going to dive into the details of what does it mean. Some of these will be very uncomfortable as we go through some of these things, right? It's going to get personal. Next week, we're going to talk about what the Holy Spirit means to be with, in, and upon us, as Scripture says. What do we do with him? Is he someone to be feared? Why do we resist him the way that we do? Is he someone to be pursued? Is he pursuing us? What would happen, church, if we allowed the Holy Spirit to be a bigger part in our lives? And that is our goal for this series. Our goal is simply this, is I want to give a biblical understanding of who the Holy Spirit is so that for the purpose of we can experience more of him and more of his power in our lives. Amen? Amen. Well, bow your heads with me, and we'll go on from here.